couple of years later, a couple of years down the road, he got sick and uh, passed away. And it just really changes your perspective on taking risks and, uh, but also taking calculated risks, right? I don't like to um, just take risks for risk's sake. You take calculated risks, you, um, you do your research. Uh, and then when, when something comes along, you got to strike, right? So like, that's kind of been my philosophy is when you, when you see an opportunity, you know, and it's, and it's real and you've done your, your homework on it, go all in. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back. Another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast 227 here. This is Clark. Jace, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing great, man. How you doing? Doing pretty good. I heard you just locked in an interest rate. We were talking uh, about interest rates increasing. I was talking to a friend this week, and they purchased a home a couple of years ago now at 2.5%, and now he says the rate is closer to 4 So we're seeing interest rates incre- increase here and probably will continue to do so, but pretty wild, a percent and a half plus over the last couple of years now. Yeah, no, they're definitely increasing. I think that's just, uh, you know, we've, we've been on a bull run for a long time. There's been a lot of things in terms of stimulus pumped into the economy. We obviously are feeling inflation effects everywhere. And at some point, you know, the, the Fed's only got so many levers to kind of move things in one direction or another. And we've had bottom, bottom rate interest rates for a very long time. So uh, to to some degree I think it's it's good to see some movement there from from an investor perspective it's obviously you know markets all over the place with with these kinds of things and reactions and stuff to you know other things that outside of our control Russia and Ukraine and whatnot but all in all I think it's a it's a good thing uh, they needed to move away from from being at zero and you know get to something that's a little bit more stabilized obviously it's not great for those trying to purchase a home compared to where you were maybe a year or two ago but I think it'll be be good for the for the greater good for the longer longer term and when they drop down a low again you can refinance if you want to just like a lot of people just <laughs> did in the last two years <laughs> what's your take on the housing market you think it starts going down a little bit as rates increase I don't know that it goes down per se uh, you know and this is obviously just my opinion um, obviously there's some sub markets that probably will but I, I do think there might be some slowing but I don't know that it's because of rates as much as it is just the demand has has outseeded supply for so long now I mean we're probably going on two years with immediate and and if you go back to some of the data that has been published and that I've looked at, you know, we've been running it at a deficit for, for the greater part of the last almost decade, really. So I, I think that you'll see prices at least hold. Maybe they won't increase as drastically and as quickly as they did before, but you're also feeling the effects of material cr- increases and supply chain constraints that gets pushed down to the buyer, you know, and so that drives up existing home sale prices as well, you know, on a price per square foot basis in, in certain submarkets. So I don't know that it it really goes down much. Uh, maybe some of the coastal cities do a little bit, but I don't know. That's a TBD. That's a, that's an interesting trend for me specifically to watch. Yeah, will be interesting to to pay attention to it. I'm curious what happens. So uh, this week we have a great interview with Mike. He's in medical sales, net worth of over two million, about two point two five. Last week, at Lewis, he worked as a welder, never went to college, net worth of 1.5, grew up in a blue-collar house and, and continued to work in that environment. He emailed us this week 
with a little bit of, a little update after his episode aired last week. He said he's retired, life is great, and then he says, I just want to read one blurb. He says, a lesson I had to learn the hard way is if a financial advisor says the word product, then run. He or she does not have your best interest in mind. Unfortunately, most of us are not taught this about money, and we don't know what we don't know until later in life. This is why podcasts like yours are so important and extremely helpful. So interesting to hear from him and, and glad he's doing well. So we're appreciative to all our millionaires who come on the show, and we look forward to this week's interview with Mike, and let's get right into it. Mike, do you want to just give us a little bit of your background and what you're up to now? Uh, yeah, so I'm in uh, I'm in medical software sales, uh, which has been booming the last uh, last few few uh, months during the pandemic, and uh, you know things are things are going really well. I've got uh, I'm married, I've got two young kids, and uh, I'm just uh, looking forward to um, talking to you guys and, and uh, seeing what uh, what we can what we can chat about here. Um, I've got a net worth of uh, about 2.25 million and that's uh that's where i sit here at 40 years old nice congrats on on the success and then we'll get into this so 2.25 million how is that broken up yeah so it's um uh it's kind of interesting i've got about 210 grand in cash about 1.4 million uh invested those investments are about about uh, a little over a million in uh combined 401ks between me and my wife and retirement accounts 250 grand in um, TD Ameritrade accounts, some HSA funds, uh, some 529s for the kids, and the rest uh, in uh, in property equity from some rentals that I have and, and primary home. Dang. So, okay, let's break this down a little bit. You, you mentioned you got HSA. How long have you been in contributing to that? Uh, the HSA I've been uh, doing for about, I think, five years now. Um, kind of, I, I don't know if it, I did the, I jumped on it the first year that my company offered it, but definitely within the, the first one or two years, I jumped on it um, and started uh, socking away basically the max in that um, and using our, using our primary fund or using our funds from our income to cover most of our, you know, costs for uh, healthcare. Yeah. So strategy with that, are you investing those funds as well? Yeah, so those are those are all invested. I, I keep whatever the minimum amount you need to have in cash. I think it may be just a little over a thousand dollars in the account, and then it gets swept into uh, some investments. Um, uh, uh, just some I, I can't even remember if it's mutual funds or some kind of index fund, uh, but just some kind of you know uh, market 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 index fund uh, there. Yeah. So how how much in your HSA? Sorry, Jason. Uh, about about thirty three thousand. One of our higher. Yeah. yeah. And you plan to continue that strategy for how long, meaning you're paying these costs out of pocket, continuing to contribute to that fund instead of using those funds to pay for the medical, correct? Yeah, I mean, really, as, as long as we can. One thing I didn't touch on is my wife and I are pro, are, are fairly high uh, income earners, um, and we, we live off... Uh, a small fraction of what we bring in. So um, I don't see us changing that HSA strategy or needing to change that HSA strategy unless there was something severely catastrophic that came on. Yeah. And then do you save all the receipts? Um, I have started that. I hadn't done that really any any um, very religiously, uh, if you would, for for a while. But uh, this year we kind of just started like scanning them into our iCloud account um, and just just saving them there. But um, yeah, we we haven't we haven't done that on any substantial uh, rollout. But but I, I have started. Okay. So as you've gone on this journey, how much of this is in your retirement or slated for retirement funds then? 
Yeah, so we've got uh, about uh, 1.1 million between 401ks uh, and I uh, and retirement accounts uh, from myself and my wife, and I have about uh, 6,000 uh, in a uh, Roth IRA, uh, which I did a rollover. I, I did a backdoor Roth this December just to just to just to do one because I hadn't done one before, and I was uh, I was curious on on you know doing that process, and it was super simple. So I'll probably do that for my wife and I as well. Um, so we've got quite a substantial retirement fund there, and all the rest is in traditional. Yeah, so I've got um, I can tell you here what we've got here. I've got. Um, in our, in our retirement, blue chip stocks, market index funds, fidelity index funds. In my Ameritrade account, we've got uh, I've got a pretty substantial um, amount of Apple. I had bought Apple starting back when I first got out of college. I sold it all to buy our first uh, condo when we moved to Philly, uh, and then I started buying back in 2009. Uh, so I've got about I've been through a few splits. So I've got about 126 grand in, in Apple stock, 72k in uh, Vanguard high high dividend uh, yield ETF. 13 grand in, in John Deere and um, some Goldman Sachs and some other dividend funds. Uh, I've been dabbling a little bit this last uh, fiscal year or last uh, calendar year in REITs. In uh, 2020, the beginning of 2020, I, I made a, a judgment call and I basically said I was sitting on a big stockpile of cash. Probably think I had about $340,000 in cash. And I said, all right, well, I need to invest this somehow in the market um, and in, in properties. So I basically set up a, a two, $2,000 a week uh, drawdown from my savings account into my TD Ameritrade account and just started buying some index funds and some dividend dividend stocks. Um, and I did that all through 2020, through the through the downturn, through the crash, through the, the, the rise back up. So uh, I've seen a, a pretty big swing uh, in, in uh, net worth in the last uh, 12 months. Um, and additionally, I also bought two houses, two rental houses. So basically, I took all of my income uh, and, and invested in the stock market and in properties in 2020. Well, wow, that's pretty crazy. So what, if you don't mind me asking, what is, I mean, I guess at the beginning of 2020, where were you at? And then obviously today you're 2.2 million. So how much, what was that increase over the last year? Yeah. So, so according to, um, Mint, I could tell you exactly because I've been tracking stuff with Mint since about 2009, 2010. If I look at Mint, it tells me in a year, um, my net worth has gone up $706,000. Wow. Say that one more time. How much? Seven hundred and six thousand dollars. Nice. Holy cow! How? I mean, I had a lot of investments. I plowed a lot of cash. <laughs> I plowed a lot of cash. I I front load my four hundred one k. Um, so I put I bas- because of my my high income. Um, I front I, I put my nineteen my nineteen five in, uh, basically within the first uh, five to six months of every calendar year. Um, so that the you take advantage of the drops and the and the increases. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. I mean, if we if I look at my all time from uh, 2010, it's a uh, a 1.9 million dollar increase. So I went from basically 350 thousand uh, in you know 2010 time frame to 2.25 uh, now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. So you mentioned the real estate. Let's just jump back to this allocation a sure. little bit. How many rentals yeah. do you have? So I have. Uh, uh, six rentals um, and a and a primary. Six rentals and what are they? Single, multi, commercial. Uh, they're all they're all single doors. Uh, two of them are actually in condo in a, in condo buildings. Um, I give you the breakdown here. One second. So yeah, so I've got um, over here. I've got a, I've got a condo uh, in in Philadelphia. 
and uh, that one rents for about uh, twenty three fifty a month, and uh, all the principal taxes, uh, insurance, and everything is uh, about six sixteen uh, sixteen forty five. Uh, so I make about seven hundred and five dollars cash flow on that. Um, wow, that's good. I, yeah, yeah, and I'm actually in the middle of a, a cash out refi on that. Um, just finalized the paperwork today, so we'll be going to closing. Um, I'm refinancing it down to a about three percent interest um, mortgage. I'm pulling out uh, forty eight thousand in cash to to do some other investing with, um, and my my mortgage payment is going down about fifty dollars a month. So I'll, I'll be cash flowing a little bit more on that property. Um, so I'm really, I really am going after kind of the the cash flow play on the uh, the rental properties. I've got two turnkey rentals, so I, I dabble in the turnkey because um, just with my my personal job, it's you know very demanding. My wife's my wife's a uh, got a got a pretty demanding job, so we have a couple turnkey rentals, um, and that's just nice because we can invest in those and, and not have to uh, to pump a lot of energy into those and uh, those cash flow. Uh, Three seventy-eight per month and about two thirteen per month on those. Those are um, single families. Those are single families. Yep, um, one in Memphis and one in Little Rock. And we are always through um, like Memphis Invest or one of those companies. Uh, they're, yeah, they're through Mid South. Yeah. Mid South yeah, Homebuyers. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And we we always with all of our rental properties, we we always put twenty to twenty five percent down uh, because um, and we we can usually get a little bit lower interest rate if we put twenty five percent down. So I don't believe in in being super over leveraged. I want to keep uh, keep a good bit of, um, of yeah. equity and uh, equity in all the properties. Smart. Uh, yeah. So the, the, let me just put, wait, so that's three, right? And then just real quick. Yeah, that's, what are the yeah that's three. Um, I've got a, um, I've got a, another condo townhouse that I just bought in November. Uh, and that one I bought all cash because I was, uh, I, it's, uh, it was 135,000. I'm getting uh, 14, $1,450 in rent. Put, I, I basically put some paint and, and uh, I put about, Three grand into it uh, and flipped it and started renting it in, the, in a month uh, after I bought it in November. And that one's um, basically cash flowing, I think, uh, roughly um, after condo fees and everything, like $1,100 a month. Nice. Uh, and then the, be- the, 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 the coolest rental I have is uh, actually internal to the family. Uh, my mother-in-law and father-in-law wanted to move down to uh, to where we live um, and uh, be with the grandkids. They were like, "Oh, well, we'll buy a house down by you." And I said, "Well, why don't, why don't I buy the house in case you want to move? And you guys can just rent it from us, and uh, we'll take care of everything." So um, we have, <laughs> we have uh, and and they help us with the childcare. So that one, I just refinanced that one and our primary residence uh, in November, and uh, that one that one doesn't cash flow as much. Cash flow is about three hundred dollars, um, but it's not going to cash flow any more than that because we're going to keep the the rent nice and uh, stable for for my in-laws. So that's a that's a nice one as well. Yeah. So six yeah. with counting your primary. Yeah, and then we're actually closing on a uh, a rental um, in the next uh, on March third. We're closing on a, a, oh, a wow. shore house a shore house here in Delaware um, that we'll we'll rent out during the summer weeks and uh, we'll have on the shoulder season for us to go to as a as a getaway. Um, so we're wow. closing on that that in March. So yep. the the turnkey ones, I assume you hire a property management company. Yeah, so that that's all when you when we actually buy it, we um, there's already someone in there renting it when you when you take ownership of it. So somebody's already renting it; they already have uh, have it filled. There's already a tenant, so basically they turn it over to you already rented. It's all fixed up. It's been basically you know 
got renovated. It's all done remotely. The the same company that we buy it from, they do all the property sure. management. We actually have had some some tenant non-payment issues with them. Um, and what's been really awesome is that they've worked with the tenants to get them back on track. Uh, we haven't had to evict anyone. Uh, they put them kind of on a on a payment program and, and gotten them back on track. Um, one one was pre-COVID. Uh, so it had nothing to do with COVID. And then one was uh, actually um, like December timeframe, Christmas time this, this past year. And they, um, they got them back on track and we've been, we've been paid in full and we haven't lost, lost uh, any, any money on those investments. Um, How uh, long have you had those? So the first one we got in Memphis, we've had for about, uh, I think it'll be coming up on three years. Uh, and then the one, um, and again, uh, the, the, um, the one that in Little Rock we purchased uh, right in April of this year. So, so uh, I I, um, I, w- I won't pat myself on the back, but I I, I kind of took uh, Warren Buffett's uh, when everybody's scared uh, when there's you know go yeah, be in careful and, and, when uh, others are greedy, yeah, greedy yeah. and others are fearful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that was you know I pushed a bunch of money into the into the stock market when when the market crashed. I pushed pushed in like i had this turnkey rental that had been waiting to purchase for a long time and i said well you know what are the odds that this turns bad for me and i said well if, if i've got this team team of people managing it it's worked out well so yeah um, yeah and, and have you had a good i mean it sounds like you've had a good experience with the turnkey ones right no issues yeah yeah and, and again they probably don't cash flow uh not, they're not as uh, you know you're not getting every every uh, dime of ROI that you possibly could but for our situation where we've got you know these these busy jobs um, that we're we're doing you know nine to five two young two kids under four it's nice to have a couple of them where I don't have to manage them because the other ones mm-hmm. I'm, I'm mani- mm-hmm. the other ones I'm managing myself okay that's what I was gonna ask yeah so I called those guys I called that company I heard about them on the sh- on our podcast uh, yeah when Jay's a couple of years ago or something. So I called him up or a year ago, maybe. And I said, Hey, you know, I heard you guys, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, what's your process? You know, let me hear about what you guys do. And they told me they were a year out from accepting yeah. any, any new investors. Pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. Once back, you're on their back. list. I mean, there's an opportunity, right? To you have a yeah. backlog of a year of investors that want to invest with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got a, bun- a bunch of my colleagues that I work with. I, I got introduced to them through one of my colleagues. And since then, a few of a few other colleagues have, uh, have purchased from them. Uh, but yeah, they're about a year. Um, and I, I actually just emailed them and I said, Hey, when's, when, when am I up on the list? And they said, we've been a little backlogged with COVID and not, not, you know, be able to pick up as many properties. So probably this summer, but I just kind of treat it as I'll probably pick one up from them a year as long as, you know, the, the ROI is uh, pretty decent. So yeah. So, Mike, how much total cash flow do you have between all the rentals now? Uh, about twenty seven hundred a month. I just ran that number the other day. So um, nice. And I, yeah, and I did purchase the the condo townhouse in November near me, cash, um, and put you know it was about one hundred thirty five thousand. Uh, I'm probably going to do some kind of HELOC or cash out refinance on that within the next you know three or four months, uh, just because with interest rates being Around three percent or so, I I can't see locking up all that money for for that that long and then put it into something else. Yeah, totally. I'd you like, said I'd like to get to I'd like to get to about ten ten doors and then see where we're at and um, see if see if I want to keep keep going or or not. And you said that was one hundred thirty five thousand that you bought that for. Correct. Wow, it's pretty great. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I, I found I, I found a I found that deal and then the, the shore house that we're 
we're purchasing uh, in, in two weeks. Uh, that was that's also a deal. It's the 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 cheapest house in the nice na- the nice area that needs a ton of work that needs you know all new windows needs you know all new siding need, needs everything. But uh, you know if you're willing to put in the work and, and the elbow grease um, or find a diamond in the rough, you can you can do that. Um, yeah, I actually got both. I'm getting. I got the con- the townhouse condo under under market value um, because I paid cash, um, and that that's kind of why I did that. I wanted the experience of of purchasing a place cash and seeing you know how that how that all worked. So that was a that was an interesting purchase. It was you know quick to close, you know offer twenty days later close, um, and that that worked well for the the seller. They wanted out. Um, so gotcha. Yeah. So, Mike, I got to ask, you've got all this going on with the rentals and, and the retirement accounts and HSAs and everything. When you're looking holistically at, at your finances and when you make a dollar or 10 or a thousand or whatever, how does yeah. that flow start and where do you put your money first, second, third, fourth as it relates to your investments? Yeah. So, um, I, so, so first, first of all, we pay ourselves first, right? Meaning we pay our, our retirement accounts, we pay our, uh, our health insurance, we pay our, uh, HSA, we pay, we pay, uh, the kids college fund, uh, funds, uh, all that stuff gets auto deducted and, and auto transferred and, and we don't even see that money, right? So that's, that's, that's the first thing. Um, uh, like I, like I did mention, I, I front load my 401k, um, I push it in as fast as possible because I have commission checks and things like that. Uh, so kind of more time in the market. I play by that theory with my 401k. Um, my wife, we do over the, over the whole year and we just divide it evenly up. Um, so that, that's kind of the first thing. And then basically we keep our spending extremely low. Um, I've tried to run some analysis. It's a little hard because I've currently got all my rentals and mortgages. I'm working on splitting that out from kind of our personal finances. Um, but I think um, with our mortgage, we spend uh, somewhere in the neighborhood. With our personal mortgage, we spend uh, personally somewhere in the neighborhood of about six to seven thousand dollars a month um, and we're we're saving a significant chunk of our our income uh, we're saving somewhere in the neighborhood if if i'm if if mint tracking is right um, our, our positive cash flow a month is about on top of that is and all our other expenses is about eighteen thousand a month we're socking away in the savings so my, I just have like a super high savings rate um, but again we have a really high income we live well below our means our mortgage our mortgage on our personal house is under six percent of our our monthly take home income, uh, so it's you know we we just live super super low below our means, and we make a lot of money. And that's I think I think a lot of people forget about leveraging how much money you can make at your day job, and that's that's key. That's key to, to being able to do all of this stuff. Yeah, because totally. If we didn't do that and have a high, and have a high savings rate. You can't pinch out enough uh, cappuccinos or uh, Starbucks to overcome making an extra fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year, right? Um, yeah, totally. So. Are you wanting to retire early at all? I have that thought in my head. Um, myself being forty years old, I, I lost my dad at a pretty young age. He he passed at about fifty five, fifty six years old, um, and so I have that kind of in the back of my mind. He 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 worked at a job he didn't like uh, and kind of uh, didn't um, w- always was wanting to retire. So in, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I should retire early so that you know I can actually enjoy that time. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure that I I'm not sure that I could because I've got a lot of a lot of energy to do a lot of different things. Um, so um, I don't know that I would actually retire. I would I would 
maybe pivot and do something different. Um, uh, my wife, my wife is a, um, she's a doctor. So, uh, she, uh, we, we might, uh, maybe start up a practice for her at some point or something like that and just kind of, uh, have a side, ha- have, have her business be our, you know, family business. And, and maybe I'll step, I'd step away from my job where prior to COVID I was traveling, you know, three or four nights a week, uh, and, and all that fun stuff. Yeah, totally. So do you envision increasing lifestyle at all? Um, so in the last probably year, we've been doing some of that. We've done some, some improvements on our house. Uh, obviously like everyone else with the COVID times, you're, you're staring, you're staring at your walls, uh, for a year. You, you want to improve your place. Um, we, we kind of do whatever, whatever we like. We don't really budget anymore. We don't, you know, have like, okay, well, we can only spend this on food. Um, so part of the shore house and, and uh, doing that as a summer rental is, is also a place for us to go and, and enjoy. And it'll cost us a little bit more, you know, to, to have that, right. It's probably not going to be in the Northeast. The, the beach season isn't, uh, isn't that long, right. It's not like if you had a, uh, Airbnb in Florida, it'd be rented for, you know, 12 months out of the year. Um, so we'll probably enjoy that, that getaway space a little bit more, but, um, yeah, that's, that I think is probably personally my, the hardest thing for me, um, cause I didn't grow up having a lot is to, is to, is to relinquish, you know, uh, saving and, and spend some more, right. I, dr- I drive a 16 year old Saab, which I keep in good condition. I don't have a new car. My wife's got the, the nice, nicer quote unquote new car, but even that one is, uh, you know, set six years old. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's probably something that we'll, we'll explore is, is just living a little bit, a little bit better. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a hard shift to make, right? Yeah. So let me, let me just jump back here to something you just mentioned to Jace's question. Your dad passed away a little bit younger in life. And I know we talked um, about that before we started recording, but as much as you're comfortable sharing here, just tell us a little bit about that and maybe how that's, that's affected you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so with the real estate thing, my, my dad had kind of, uh, when we lived, when we lived in, uh, Florida, he had, uh, he had purchased a couple of rentals. So he had two rentals and, and, uh, and then when we moved back uh, north, he, he rented out our primary home. So, uh, I kind of got, uh, I kind of got a little bit of exposure to that. Um, I was still pretty young, you know, when he was doing that, I was, you know, eight to eight to 12 uh, years old when that, that kind of went down for him. Um, and then we moved north and the prices of properties were a lot higher. And, uh, that, that kind of, I think scared him, scared him off of, he, he wanted to do this, but he, he couldn't, uh, you know, kind of wrap his head around how, how do I, you know, figure out getting financing or, or, you know, doing this at a much higher price than I was doing where we lived in Florida. And he was a guy that could do everything, right? So he could, he could build, he could build an extension on a house. He could do the electrical. He could do the plumbing. He could, you know, he could do basically anything, right? So he didn't even need a contractor. He, if he had, if he had wanted to, he probably could have, you know, done, done, done this in a big way. Uh, but he just kind of lacked the, the motivation. You know, you get locked into a, your, your day job and taking care of your family and, uh, maybe you don't want to take some risks right so so that that kind of gave me a little bit of perspective and then you know when i when i got out of college i moved to new york and got a job and was working and uh, a couple of years later a couple of years down the road he got sick and uh, passed away and it just really changes your perspective on taking risks and uh, but also taking calculated risks right um and uh, i don't like to um just take risks for risk's sake um, you take calculated risks you um you do your research, uh, and then when when something comes along, you got to strike, right? So, like, you know, I, I think that's that's been my um, 
that's kind of been my philosophy is when you when you see an opportunity, you know, and it's and it's real and you've done your your homework on it, go all in. Right. And that's with yeah, so that's with your when, that's with your career or with rental properties or, or whatever you've got. Yeah, you mentioned I mean your risk, right? It makes you think about risk and your risk appetite. In what way? Yeah. Being more careful or being or wanting um, to take more risk because you know that life could end sooner than than you hope? Yeah, yeah. So I think I think I think probably in both, right? You, so you take more you, you take more more risk because you know you're not guaranteed anything, uh, but you also want to be careful with that risk because and now maybe even a little bit a, a little bit more you think about it, you've got kids, you've got a family, you've got you know you've got you got to take care of this. Um, so um, I think that when you're taking those risks, um, you just have to have that all those all those pieces, right? And and some of it is I've got this family, I have to take some risks, right? I can't just rely on my nine to five. What if I get laid off or what? If, you know those type of things. So having multiple income streams, multiple buckets, um, all that kind of philosophy. Um, I think that that's that kind of shaped me into, into thinking that way, right? Like take some risks. Don't don't be scared to take risks and 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 go from there. Yeah. So for me, it seems like that risk is coming for you through these real through these real estate purchases, five or six different rentals. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, that's that's probably the most. Um, obviously, we've got um, you know some some stuff in the stock market, uh, but most of the risk is in the rentals. I feel pretty confident on those because I've you know done uh, pretty hefty down payments on them or or own own some of them out or that one outright. Um, so, you know, I feel like, you know, there's not much that could cause me a problem. And then again, because if you have a high, high income and high savings rate, you can always cash flow a problem, right? So um, if you've got, you know, 200,000 in cash, you could not have renters for years, right? If, if you, if you needed to, which would sure, never sure. happen. Um, yeah. So, um, or 200, if you have, you know, a bunch of money in a, in a stock market account that you could pull out if you need to for an emergency, right? So, so if you can cash flow that kind of thing, uh, you're, you're pretty much stable and safe. Yeah. Right? yeah. So let me push you on some of these rentals and not the turnkey ones necessarily, but the ones sure. that you self manage. How do you find them? So, uh, the, the condo that we had in, in Philly, uh, was our primary residence. Uh, and then when we, when we relocated down to uh, Delaware, we just rented it out. Um, so, so that one was, pretty easy to find. We actually did purchase that. It was our, our, fr- uh, one of my friends, uh, from college actually owned it. Uh, they were looking to, uh, to downsize, uh, for a little while to save up some cash for a, a down payment on a, on like a townhouse in Philadelphia. So we bought it directly from them. So we didn't have, uh, any, uh, realtor fees on that property. And then, uh, the, the other, the other properties that we own that aren't the turnkeys we've found on the MLS I and mean, just got to hunt and, you know, run, run some numbers and have a good relationship with your realtor and say, you know, literally the one I just bought in November, the little condo townhouse, uh, you know, 1200 square feet. I literally snapshotted the photo on my unrealtor.com and texted it to my, my real estate agent. I said, Hey, what's the deal with this? Uh, can you talk to your people about what something like this rents for? And he ran some some rental comps and talked to some uh, people in his company that that do rentals. And he's like, yeah, he's like, it'll probably rent for somewhere around thirteen hundred, thirteen fifty. And I said, okay, well, let's go take a look at it. So we took a look. We took a look. Put an offer. Put some paint on it. Um, we put it up. The uh, same same realtor put it up for rent for fourteen fifty, and uh, we got fourteen fifty for it. So boom. Um, yeah. And so, then uh, I think you mentioned this at the beginning, but how leveraged are you? Not very, but I can't remember the exact percent. 
Yeah. So, um, so I keep, I keep about, uh, all my properties have at least 25% equity, except for the one that I own. Um, I think I didn't run that number for you, but, uh, but, uh, I could probably find it relatively quickly. My no, mint's okay. a little, yeah, no, my mint's good. a little wonky on that. And then the one um, that you're doing the cash out refi, that's the main one that the condo that you previously lived in, right? Yeah. So that's the condo in Philly that I'm, um, I previously lived in. Correct. Yep. And how come you're doing that versus just letting it sit and build up equity and cash flow more? That's a good question. So I, I go back and forth with myself, right? Do I want paid off rentals or do I want, do I want cash flow? Uh, I was actually with that one, my initial plan bef- before we were purchasing the, the, the shore house, because the shore house kind of just came up and, and it was a, a good deal and we decided to do it. Um, my initial plan with that was to pay off one of the turnkey rentals with the cash out. Um, because the, the turnkey rental, uh, is sitting at about 5% interest. Um, so I was just going to pay that off. I have kind of that, uh, real estate investor's dilemma of, do I want, um, more properties that are, that are cash flowing and building the equity or do I want, um, or do I want paid off properties? Um, and I'm not sure what the answer is to that yet. So does that, does that make gotcha. sense? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. No, I think Jay's kind of going through the same thing. It's an interesting, interesting take on going back and forth on it. So, yeah. uh, working with the bank. So you're going to own real estate in what? Four different states here? Uh, yeah, four different states. Okay. So, so four states. Are you working with different banks in each of those? Are you working with the same bank? How do you manage that? Yeah. So, so, um, my couple here in Delaware, um, I've worked at the same bank for the, the, for the one rental and for my primary, um, for, um, the cash out refi in Philly and the, uh, shore house. I'm working with, uh, the same bank for a, a different bank for those two. Uh, and then, and then for the, um, the turnkeys, I've worked with the same bank, uh, for both of those. Um, so I've, I've got three different banks, um, across the, the properties. And and once you get new loans, or I mean, which loan was the hardest to get, if any? Is it was it harder to get the first and the second one? Is it harder to get the fifth and the sixth? Honestly, we we haven't had any any issue. Um, again, just because of our our low um, our personal low uh, low rate of mortgage rate, we don't have we don't have a big mortgage for for our personal house, uh, and we have such high income uh, for for the last. The last few that I've done, I haven't even had to really show uh, income from the rental properties uh, for them. Uh, so they, they really haven't been that difficult. Um, I don't know that we've actually talked about uh, income. I don't know if that if that's helpful for you all, but I, I make about $270,000 a year um, and my wife makes about 130000 a year. Wow, so great income. You're at four hundred. What did you start at when you were both started working your full time job? Well, we both started out. Um, I I started out in 2002 in New York City making forty two thousand dollars a year, and my wife started out in Boston making I think thirty five thousand dollars a year. So eighty seven, let's call it. Yeah, that's tough, man. In New York, forty two k. Yep, forty two k. I had a sixteen hundred dollar apartment in uh, Astoria. I split it with a buddy. Uh, it was an interesting setup. It had two, it, it had, uh, four, four rooms. I wouldn't call two of them bedrooms. I would call them two of them rooms that beds fit in. And so we each had kind of a, a room that we had like our little office set up or whatever. And then we each had our own little room with our bed in it. And then when he moved out, I rental hacked, house hacked his two rooms and had two roommates on his side of the, 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 the apartment. <laughs> so I took over the, I took over the lease and I rented out those two rooms and then, uh, and the rest is history. 
So I, I saw one day riding the subway because I live in New York, obviously, there was a Street Easy ad that said something like, sure, your window faces a brick wall, but at least behind that brick wall is New York City. That's right. I, was, yeah. I always thought that was funny, right? Some of the things that people go through to live in this place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would say I would say being living in New York kind of set me up for success. Um, when when you move to New York, you've got to struggle, you've got to you've got to scrimp and save, you know. But the really cool thing is when when you work for some some of the big places there, um, you can have your your transportation, your metro card can come out pre tax, right? So you know, I was paying for my monthly metro card, uh, you know, probably before tax, uh, you know, $72. And I had no car payment, I had no car insurance, I had no gas. Uh, the only thing I needed was my metro card, and I could be anywhere in the city. Uh, so, you know, you don't have a lot of overhead, your your overhead is your rent and your metro card, right? And the, yeah, and, and if, you, if you can get rent under control, it's really it. Right, exactly. And, you know, food, food's cheap, you can eat out every night of the week. Um, you know, you can, you can have your laundry done for super cheap. Yeah. <laughs> and all that kind of fun stuff. So, yeah, but, um, yeah, everybody you know, says groceries and everything's so much more expensive, but I actually find the only thing that's that much more expensive is rent. I mean, between insurance and gas, you're going to pay less on transportation. Groceries are about the same depending on where yep. you go, but you can easily find it for the same or cheaper. Yeah. Uh, it's really rent. Yeah. Yeah. And again, if you, and most people, most young people when they move to the city, they're, they're going to have roommates, right? So, um, as long as you're willing to live, uh, not, not in downtown Manhattan and, uh, or in, you know, midtown and, uh, you're willing to live on the outskirts and commute into the city, uh, you can, you can yeah. find some place, you know, you yeah. might, you might have roaches, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and mice and rats and my, yep, you'll figure it out. So Mike, before people heard this story, and listen to this podcast. Did your friends and family know you're you're where you're at? Two point two five million. Yeah. So um, probably not not exactly. Pro- definitely not family. Um, some some of my colleagues. So some of my colleagues that I work with make even significantly more than I do in the sales field. Um, I think that that's also been helpful. Um, that's one of the reasons why I really loved finding your podcast was because. It was people like me, right? People that were, you know, I, again, you can listen to, you can, you, you can listen to enough, enough podcasts about, you know, cutting your cable or, you know, not buying, not buying a, a, a cappuccino. Um, but once you're kind of, you know, try, trying to, trying to increase your net worth, where do you go? Who do you turn to? Um, and, and I found your podcast, but I also have, uh, I have a good cadre of, of colleagues and, and coworkers who a bunch of them have rental properties, a bunch of them are doing, you know, interesting things. I was talking yeah. to a buddy, I was talking to a buddy uh, actually yesterday and I showed him the, the, the little beach house that we're buying. He was like, yeah, I bought this uh, 120 acre farm in uh, Missouri and we're going to make it into a little hunting, uh, you know, we're going to put a little lodge here and he's showing me the Google maps and, you know, so, you know, Neat. just being around, Neat. being around people that are doing different things, um, you know, gets, gets your ideas going. Uh, and yeah, I can't, uh, I can't say enough for your, your peer group. I have peer groups that are not in the same mindset. Um, and, and they're great to hang out with. Uh, and then when, when I want to talk about refinancing something or, you know, throwing something against the wall and seeing if it sticks, uh, you know, I called my other buddy who does a bunch of real estate investments and, and, you know, what do you think of this? Uh, no, don't, don't leave your money in there. Cash out, refi that, you know, it's under 3%. It's, you know, you're dumb to leave it in there, right? So, like, you get you get actual feedback from a bunch of different places and uh, help you make decisions. Yep, exactly. So, as you look back at, at your growth of your income and your net worth, uh, if I, if I put income 
or net worth on one side and happiness on another? What's the correlation? Anything? I think happiness has to come with from from within. I, I don't necessarily know that money or net worth is going to change who you are as a person. I think that that's something that that we all have to we all have to work at, right? Whether we're making forty thousand dollars or whether we're making you know two hundred thousand um, dollars, I think that it can give you more comfort. Uh, but really, that's got to come from from within you if you're if you're going to be happy or not, and because uh, you can always yeah. you can always want more, right? So what um, what drives you, Mike? And and a, has that has question. that shifted? Yeah, yeah. So I think I think initially um, probably wanted to your your ego drives you and you and you want to prove to others you can do stuff, right? And so I think early in my career, you know, I I kind of wanted to prove to colleagues or coworkers or to my parents or to you know to my to my friends that that I could do you know do something or, or accomplish something. Um, and then now it's more. Um, it's all, it's more personal internal drive where it's like, all right, well, I'm saving all this money. I've got a high savings rate, but what am I going to do with it? Right. What's it, what's it, what's it mean? Right. I could just sock it away into a bank account or I could, uh, or I could do something with it and I could, uh, you know, make a difference in yeah. my family, you know, create, create potentially, you know, some generational wealth. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't yet know if, you know, I also want my kids to have some drive and I don't want to just hand them things. Right. So those are, uh, those are all uh, interesting questions that at, at, You'd, th- you'd think at 40, you'd have all that put together and you don't. <laughs> no way, man. We asked that and, and I don't know that anyone has that all put together. Uh, how old were you when you became a millionaire? Um, so I, th- I was about 36, 37. So it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Okay. Good for you. Yeah. Um, any book recommendations, product recommendations that have been helpful to you? Um, so I'm not. I'm not huge on books. I do listen to a lot of podcasts, especially when I'm, when I'm out walking my neighborhood during the COVID lockdowns. Um, I do listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, one, one book I really did like and just one topic I'm really interested in is, uh, uh, The Power of uh, Habit by Charles Duhigg. I don't know if you, you, all, you guys have, uh, read that one or if that one's come yeah, up yeah, uh, yeah. frequently. Yeah. I just, I just think that especially for somebody, for people that are, you know, they have their career, they have their side hustles, they have their, you know, investments or real estate, whatever. Um, you're, you're trying to do tons of different things. How do you make best use of your time? How do you create the habits that allow you to get your job done, your career job, you know, your W2 job, your, your, your side hustle job, your, you know, your rental business, your, your family, right? Like I think habits are really key. And that's in the last kind of couple of years, I've really started trying to, um, to, to build habits that are positive, you know, during, during COVID, uh, I, I, I lost uh, about 40 pounds, uh, just changing diet and, and Good for you. Not also, also not traveling, right. Because that's, uh, that's, that's always breaking your habits when you're flying places and, um, in different time zones. Um, that, that really helped, but, um, you know, um, I think changing some habits, you know, getting up early and working out so that, that's already done and you don't have to think about it for the rest of your day. Right. Um, so, um, just those things, I think, I think habits are, are key for people that want to be successful and, and, and by, by no means am I perfect yet. Well, you're doing great now. 2.25 million, 40 years old. So awesome. I mean, way to go. And thanks again. Really appreciate you coming yeah. on. Thanks for sharing yeah. your story. Really good stuff. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. Look forward to your, your podcast every week. Thanks so much. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. 
See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.